husbands plus godless men equals harder times for women. This is a re-recording of our 15 October message from 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. We had some audio problems, so this will be a re-recording of that lesson. We started with the recap from the previous message from 2 Timothy 2, starting with the idea of reaching the opposition. Last week's study had us seeing that we can be impactful for the gospel through the way that we love those around us, not just our family, not just our friends, but also those that are truly opposed to the word of truth. We discussed the vessels in the house, some are for honor, some are for dishonor, and that the house being the church, within it are vessels that are dishonorable, but they can be cleansed or sanctified and made honorable. But being sanctified means taking an active role in our own lives as believers. As the Holy Spirit works in your life, you are also called to sanctify yourself. This is a two-part process. So as we become believers and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, we are being sanctified, but we are being convicted as well. And there's an active call for holiness where we work to sanctify ourselves. In this particular case, Paul calls us to flee our youthful lusts, then to, to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. The goal being that we are not contentious or quarrelsome with others, but that through pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, we're able to reach the lost, reach the enemies of God, desiring that God may give them repentance. And that is always our goal is not just to set people aside or point them out as wrong. <clears throat> it is through our righteousness, our faith, and our love, and the peaceful message that we bring that we reach those hoping that they will be saved. You see, one of the amazing aspects of God's grace is that he allows us to take part in the reaching of others. What a beautiful part of the faith this is, that God would love us so much that we get to take part in the process of saving people. Yes, it's God alone who does the work in their hearts. And God could save everyone through a miraculous act like he did for Paul. But for us, we take part in his plan by living out and sharing the gospel message with others near and far from God in hopes that they would repent and believe. <clears throat> One of the points that has stuck with me uh, through the weeks as I continued to study through Timothy is the idea of kindness. And the question I posed to the church was, does anyone remember who we should be kind to? And from last week's study, we learned kind to all, kind to everybody. It's kindness that we show. That's one of the first things that shows them that we are peaceful people. And it's a stark reminder that when we love people enough to share the truth, we exemplify God's love. So what is going to come next is, is in the third chapter of 2 Timothy, is a warning about hard times coming. I think you'll find that this is an, is, it is important to remind ourselves as a church that there is nothing particularly special about hard times. <clears throat> it's all a part of our process. So turn with me to 2 Timothy 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 9. 2 Timothy chapter 3, reading verses 1 through 9. And Paul wrote this, but know this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, 
lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, without gentleness, without love for good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but having denied its power, keep away from such men as these. For among them are those who will enter into households and take captive weak women, weighed down with sins, being led on by various desires, always learning and never able to come to the full knowledge of truth. Just as Yanes and Yambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, disqualified in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as theirs was also. So Paul starts off this section with something we really need to pause on immediately. Verse 1 says that in the last days, difficult times will come. So what does this mean, in the last days? Well, what it does not mean is that you can nail down a specific period of time where you can tell your friends that you know we are living in the last days right now because of what is on Fox News or on CNN News. You know, without a shadow of a doubt that Christ is going to come back at any given second because whatever's happening in current events has pointed you to it. The other thing you should not be trying to do is maybe seeing Hamas attacking Israel and deciding that the end is coming right away. There are churches really working hard to get folks to believe that the events of last week are what is going to usher in the coming of Jesus. <clears throat> Even in um, Tennessee last week, there was a pastor who from the pulpit tells his congregation that he hopes Israel launches a rocket onto the Temple Mount and destroys it, killing Muslims, so that the third temple can be built and usher in the coming of Christ. It's We don't do that through violence. We don't reach people through violence. And I support Israel defending itself, but we should never pray violence upon a people. We should pray repentance. You see, Jesus will come in his own time. And let's focus on what we need to be doing here as believers. See, this term is more related to an age or a period of time where things will get worse. It will get worse around the world. And you will see from this reading, it will get worse even in the church. So there's good biblical evidence to show that we've been in the last days since Christ returned to the Father to be seated on the throne. <clears throat> Acts 2.17 says, as what we refer to as Pentecost during this time, Peter stands up, and he points out what was prophesied in Joel 2. He says, And it shall come to be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. See, interestingly, the word that he used here for last days is eschatos, which is the word that we use for that aspect of our study of last things, which we call eschatology. And just as Peter is describing events starting at Pentecost and apparently continuing until the return of Jesus at some point in the future, Paul is talking about the same age. So it could be when Christ left, and it could be all the way to the point that the temple was destroyed, that the last days began. But we should understand it as this, as being an age of time, that the last days are. See, he says difficult times will come. Your translation might say perilous times, but Paul gives us a, a list of things that will define mankind before Christ returns. 
He calls them lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without control, without gentleness, without love for good, treacherous, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And just to show the consistency of scripture, let's look at what Mark records Jesus saying about what comes out of the hearts of men. <clears throat> In Mark 7, verses 21 to 22, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. So the heart is not something we should rely on. We should always rely on the word of God. And men who are going against the word of God, they exhibit these sort of things. See, I believe if we were going to do a survey of the world from the time of Christ until now, you would easily see that these things, they come in waves and that they're more prevalent in some part of the world than in others. And mankind is sinful by nature through it all and yearns to please itself. And I don't think a deep dive into each one of the attributes helps us to really learn anything about people, but you learn uh, from just being alive and living here on earth that people are pretty bad to be around each other. They're bad to each other. They're self-serving and they're often willing to commit violence and speak poorly of each other. But, you know, verse five is one that we should pay close attention to. Paul says that they will hold to a form of godliness but have denied its power. You see, back in Paul's time, it was the scribes and the Pharisees who held to a form of godliness, but denied its power. Today, we have a world filled with false teachers who may look like believers, but deny the power of godliness. And Matthew records Jesus in the 23rd chapter of Matthew in verses 25 to 26 as saying this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. So they act religious, but they've not truly submitted to God. The inside of you has to be cleaned by God through the saving grace of Jesus Christ and extending through obedience and submission to his word. You'll see in one of our upcoming studies, as Paul writes his letter to Titus, the third pastoral epistle, in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, They profess to know God, but their works, by their works, and deny him, being detestable and disobedient and unprofit for any good work. This is how we know false teachers. If what's going on on the outside does not match what's on the, in the word of God or on the inside of them, it's not from God, period. Changing the word, twisting the word, denying the word, setting aside certain portions of the word of God, they're all, it's all ungodly works. And as we learned in an earlier study, they're like gangrene to the modern church. They're like rot to the body. And unless taken care of, they will make the body sicker and sicker until the body dies. So moving on to verse 6 and verse 7, we are going to talk about women but we're going to press hard on our men also. So read with me, if you will, 2 Timothy 3, verses 6 and 7. And Paul wrote, For among them are those who enter into households and take captive weak women weighed down with sins, being led on by various desires, always learning and never able to come to the full knowledge of truth.
John MacArthur's commentary says this about these particular women. Weak in virtue and the knowledge of the truth and weighed down with emotional and spiritual guilt over their sins. These women were easy prey for deceitful, false teachers. So why are false teachers preying on women? Well, that's a good question and, and there's good reason for it. And so I found a good article from the London Bible College's publication called Vox Evangelica or Voice of Evangelical that may help us understand this. And the article is called Why Are Most Churchgoers Women? So bear with me if you will. And I think you'll find that this will help us to understand. You see, the writer took uh, a social scientific view at many of the reasons that women attend church more than men and came up with a, a list and some explanations that will show us why, why men are lacking in the leading of women to sound teaching and attendance at church. And he starts here. Number one is guilt. Women, according to sociologists, experience guilt more than men. So they go to church, try to rid themselves of that. Anxiety. Women seem to have a higher level of fear, looking for a safe place. They look to God as a father figure. They go for dependence. On average, more women are dependent on a family unit or a man. Material poverty, access to financial aid. For a social life, women become isolated either within or without of a family and look for community. For status, on the average, more men gain status in work and success in public, so women may search for equality within the walls of a church. Child rearing, the church, as a resource for raising kids. This would be a good reason to go, of course. Sacrifice. Women tend to bear suffering well. And therefore, they can commune in the fellowship of service. So women are built for service, and they do so well because they are long-suffering. Workforce participation. This is tied to community. As there are not as many women in the workforce, many will spend more time participating in church. Liberation, or the search for freedom from their lives. Maybe they're looking to get out of whatever situation they're in and the church is that escape. And then election and evangelism. Really what this means is that they are looking for a means to reach the man that's in their lives. They will go to church because their home situation isn't good. Maybe it's abusive. Maybe their husband's an unbeliever. Whatever that might be, they are looking for a way to reach them and they go to the church. See, women are searching for God in what looks like sociologically larger numbers than men. So it's easier for them to get caught up in false teachings because evil men are preying on them there. So it's not because they're just weak women. It's because they are in a position where they can be preyed on easier. And this is why it's so important that we recognize as fathers that our daughter's spiritual health is directly related to our walk with the Lord. They will not have to go looking to fulfill all these gaps in their life if we are ensuring that they have as men, taking on a headship role in the house, ensuring the word of God is read and studied in the home, that there is prayer, that there is submission to God, and that you're in a good, solid church. Treating and serving their mothers is number one priority, as well as an example for them on how they should be treated and served in a marriage. If a father doesn't love the mother well, serving her well, preparing her for heaven well, then they are not setting the standard for what their daughter looks for when she looks to be married. See, at some point, a man is going to take the baton from the father, marry the daughter, and that man will take that role, which means we need to make sure our daughters marry good men. 
And next to that, as fathers, we should ensure that we are raising good young men who will love their wives and children. Because if we don't raise good young men, then our women will not have good young men to marry. So the vast majority of the responsibility for these women being led astray, well, it's because of men. Now, this doesn't set aside the fact that you ladies need to be watchful over your own theology, over your own hearts. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you sit under for teaching. Teachers will prey on you. Many of the women's studies are designed to pull at your heartstrings and not to necessarily build up your faith. It's really important that you understand that there are a lot of women's studies out there that get you to spend money on a program or a book, but that's all they do, and they don't necessarily build you up in the faith. They're just a means of making money, essentially. So as we move on, and I'm not going to get into a Calvinistic debate about predestination, but the words are really clear here. A person can sit under bad teaching and learn things and somehow never come to the full knowledge of truth. As verse 7 says about these women, they are always learning. So they're sitting under teaching. They're always hearing it, but they're never able to come to the full knowledge of truth. The, the thing here is that somehow these women are sitting under a teaching and they're hearing the name. And although the teaching isn't good, it doesn't seem like they're saved. They don't ever get it. They don't ever understand. And I'm not sure how the science works out here because we know that God works to glorify himself through everything. But somehow, whatever these false teachers is doing, these women are grasping onto and they're never coming the full knowledge of truth, they never come to salvation. So this is an essential for us as men in the church, and it's essential for women to protect themselves. We must understand that it is essential for you to be sitting under sound teaching, to sitting under good doctrine. Love and the truth are essential for all of us, period. So the section that we studied today is going to finish talking about these two guys from the Old Testament. This guy's Yanis and Yabras. They're not mentioned anywhere in the Bible except here, but they are mentioned in the Talmud. And the Talmud is a document from the Babylonian Exodus uh, written by the Jews, but in it is a lot of Jewish tradition. And one of those things talks about the magicians who opposed Moses at the beginning of the Exodus and where Moses stood in opposition to Pharaoh. So if you remember, Moses is told by God to take Israel and leave. And Moses goes to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go. So as God produces miracles, so Pharaoh's magicians replicate those miracles with magic, which leads us to believe that, yes, there can be evil magic that might look like some sort of miracle, that might look like it's something from God, that might look like something miraculous. We need to be very careful with that because they're able to replicate some of these things. But to keep going with the story from the Talmud is that when Israel did leave, as they follow Israel into the desert and they put themselves within the community, just like a false teacher will be in the church and it may be hard to recognize. So they followed Israel after the Passover. And when they get to the spot where Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments from God and he leaves Aaron in charge. Israel falls into Baal worship. And that the, the Talmud has a story that essentially says that these two guys were there promoting the worship of Baal 
and the building of the golden calf that Israel would eventually worship instead of God. You see, false teachers do not love God. And because you love God, they hate you. They may act like they love you, but just like Giannis and Yambres, I'm sure they pleaded with Israel to collect the gold to build the calf that was worshipped. And as you can see throughout history, it's the same way. Satan keeps reproducing the same old lies. As a false teacher back then collected up any riches that they had to try to give them something else to worship, so today false teachers want to collect your riches to give you something else to worship. They matter not what it is as long as it's not God. It could be worshiping yourself, your best life now. It could be worshiping the miraculous or some sort of spiritual healing. It could be, uh, you know, worshiping prosperity. Uh, it could be worshiping health instead, but somehow it's always related to getting your riches. And this is common through the church. It has been for years. It's not ever changed. And they're also tireless, just like these two guys followed Israel through the desert. False teachers are tireless. They'll follow you. They'll chase you down. They work very hard to deceive you. See, brothers and sisters, we have to be ever vigilant. Eve was deceived by the serpent with Adam right there by her side. Women were being deceived by false teachers in Paul's time, leveraging their desire or their companionship or their need for a father figure or their love or their acceptance and filling the holes made up by guilt in their life. And today, false teachers are craftier than ever. They're getting better at luring people in through the internet and through all of the social media platforms and through books. They have access to our ladies more than they ever have in human history. So ladies, be watchful for your soul. Do not accept every teaching that comes around that feels good or lifts you up. And men, men, let's make sure we are doing what God has called us to do. Let's not idly stand by as Adam did. If you truly love the ladies in your life, you will love God first and honor him in a way that protects their hearts. Father God, I am thankful for you today and I'm thankful for this message that you gave us out of 2 Timothy 3. And we ask that it just might be sweet incense to you, that through studying your word, we become more intimate with you as our Lord, as our King, and also as our Savior, the one who gives us rest. And we ask, Father, that you would give uh, refuge to our ladies as they um, experience the church differently than men do, that you would always give them a safe place here and ours. And very importantly, Lord, we ask that you strengthen our men in your word and in your work, that they would always be looking out for the safety of everyone in the church, in particularly the safety of their wives and the safety of their daughters, that they would bring them up in you, Lord, knowing there is only one truth, and that is you, our Savior, our Father. And Father God, we ask for all of our blessings in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.